Sounds good. Tom doesn't know I'm preaching on this morning, but we'll see how that uh, links in uh, to what I'm speaking about. Uh, morning. If you're new here this morning, my name's James. I'm one of the leaders here. It's great to have you with us. Hope you uh, feel at home with us. Hope you've all had a good week. It's a big week this week, wasn't it? 31st, deadline day, counting down the minutes to the end of the transfer deadline. <laughs> and also to Brexit. Yeah. Um, uh, just a, a hello from Clive. Um, I know we haven't seen him for a while. He's been, um, for those of you who don't know, Clive's a, a friend of the church here, has so been involved with us for many years. He, he sends greetings lots of times whenever I'm talking with him or texting, and I, I, I fail to pass them on every time, so sorry. But he, he sends a hearty hello and says he misses us all and yeah, really wants to be with us. He's been, he's been wanting to come to us, but he, he started in September uh, working in a church in Black Boys in Sussex, and he's uh, working there with a church that was very much in a similar position to us about five years ago. Um, they, they don't have a leader, so he's coming and leading the church for a time, and um, they want to become part of the Relational Mission Family Churches, so he's helping them to do that as well. But he sends a hearty hello, and sorry he hasn't been here for a few months, but is seriously hoping he'll get here in the summer uh, to be uh, with us. Uh, if you'd like to turn to Acts 2, uh, verses 42 to 47, that's where I'll read from. Um, we're starting a series this morning, it's going to be a 10-week series, uh, looking at um, values. We've called it Christ's Church, Christ's Values, and um, we're going to be thinking about what today, this morning, about values-driven mission, about what the purpose of values are, what are they, uh, what are our values. Uh, we'll be thinking about that uh, this morning. Um, so uh, I'm not going to be preaching the passage in particular, I'm going to refer to it, but I'm really going to kind of bounce my way through Scripture, as it were, and talk about values throughout um, Scripture. And then um, we'll have nine weeks, there's nine values that we're going to look at, and we'll have one week on each of the, the values that we're going to be looking at. Um, oh, careful. Took a photo of Sebi this week and got it framed. This is my son. I'm oh, kidding, this is, this is me, yeah. <laughs> this is me. Well, I, I, I don't know if you spot a family resemblance. I, don't, I know it's difficult to imagine because you've only known me when I've been bald and looked like this. But just this is proof that the beauty and gorgeousness of my three-year-old son was evident in me at some point. <laughs> and that he is just a replication of me. Uh, blonde, curly hair. I don't know if when we started coming, you might remember, he had blonde, curly hair, blue eyes. And uh, had yet, you know, hadn't yet started sinning, and uh, he was just utterly gorgeous. Oh, my mother would have not been happy about that <laughs> had I dropped that. Um, but that's we're at that wonderful stage of life, which I'm sure many of you have had, of kind of replicating yourself, <laughs> you know, passing on your DNA, you know, kind of reproducing after your own kind. I'm sure you've got, all got stories of, oh, we've got, you know, our eldest looks like him, our youngest looks like her, and has got his chin and her eyes and um, his mood, uh, <laughs> her sense of humour. Uh, whatever it might be, it's a wonderful stage of, of life to, to be at. Um, and, uh, you know, so Jess and I are thoroughly enjoying um, having children who look like us and behave like us and talk like us. And it's all slightly rather scary, actually. Well, that stage where you start to see yourself in your children. You know, your child says something. Daddy, that's enough. Oh. 
I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> Your children uh, are like you, aren't they? And I'm sure you've all got stories of, uh, um, if you've got children, of how they are, are like you or your partner. Um, God commands Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's his initial command to us. Um, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. And it's a joy to be obedient to that command, isn't it? And to have children. And uh, I'm sure we've got fond memories of it. Um, reproduction, um, not in the kind of physical, natural sense, but reproduction, of re- reproducing uh, of kind, um, is God's desire for families, and it's also his desire for his family. It's his desire for his family, the church, the beginnings of which we read about in this passage here in Acts We see that God, in his very nature, is a father. He's a father. He um, has a plan from the beginning of time, a plan A, to extend his loving rule throughout the whole of creation through families so that the earth would be full of the glory of God, full of families who love God and love one another. But um, he gave that command, be fruitful and multiply to Adam and Eve. Uh, Sin came into the world the relationships within the family were, were broken, fractured. But God stayed committed to his plan of filling the earth with his glory through family. And so he uh, brought, spoke to Noah and his family and brought salvation through Noah. And then chose Abraham and his family to uh, be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And then Abraham has Isaac and Jacob, and through Jacob's 12 sons comes the nation of Israel. And through God's chosen family, Israel, he brings his salvation plan. Out of whom comes Jesus, who's of the tribe of Judah, one of Jacob's sons. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, God gathers a family by adopting into his family uh, those who previously were far off from him, but have been drawn in by the body and blood of Jesus. Now that's God's, God's plan. He's a, his plan is family. It says this in Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 5, that in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This is the Father's plan, that through Jesus we would be adopted into his family, know him as a father, be called children of God, and become members of his royal family. That's God's heart, his plan. In... Um, Romans 8, it says something similar. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, God, Daddy, God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. This is God's great plan of filling the earth with his glory through his family, through his church. And in verse 42 in this passage, the early church devote themselves to fellowship, to being part of family, to breaking bread together. Verse 46, it says that doing it whenever they met in one another's homes. This family meal was so central to New Testament church life and continues to be to us. It's a celebration of our adoption as sons of God, as children of God into God's family through Jesus and in this, uh, in, in, in the New Testament, we continually see <clears throat> this language of adoption and of family throughout. So we hear familial terms like brothers and sisters. How many times do you read the New Testament letters and read brothers and sisters? It's continually the theme of New Testament language is this sense of family. 
That's why we talk about New Life Church family. It's because we're, we're a family together. And it says in this passage, I think it's in verse 47, new believers were added to their number. Just like we've been adding children to Jess and I's number. Um, God is adding numbers to his family. They're not new kind of additions to an institution. They haven't become new members of an organization. They're not just accepting certain doctrines. They've been adopted into a family, into mem- to be members of God's family, to be members of his household. So this is what God has been doing. He's propagating his DNA. He's reproducing after his kind by adding into his family, adopting us into his family by placing us in Christ. And then by placing us in Christ, he's restoring his image in us. He's making us like Christ. That by the Spirit, he's transforming us by his grace to become more like him so that our character and our ways become like his character and ways being discipled into what Christ is like. And this is how God is filling the earth with his glory. Habakkuk 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled. The earth will be filled. There's coming a time when it will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's great plan to fill the earth with his glory through us, his family, his church, adopted through Jesus' death and resurrection, placed in Christ, filled with the Spirit, his image transformed and restored in us, and propagated by the replication of us, by us bearing fruit and producing after our kind. So when we disciple people, we're, we're kind of we're, we're replicating us, as in people who have been, whose image is, the image of God is being restored in, who are like their Father in heaven, whose character and ways are being shaped by him and the royal family, which Christ is a member of. This is God's great plan. Bearing fruit, growing, multiplying until God's family fills the earth. Church is being planted. So when we talk about church planting, about discipling, what we're talking about is propagating God's DNA, reproducing after Christ's kind of being in the family of God. When we talk about church planting, we're talking about planting and reproducing after our kind. Reproducing something of Christ and his family in another place. Um, that's the mission uh, that we're on. That's the, the, the mission that we've been caught up in. It's the mission that we preached about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about uh, Christ's great commission to us to go into all the world and disciple all nations. And that's what we're doing. We're discipling people. So when we go to a place and plant a church, we're discipling people and a church forms. And it's after the kind of those who planted it, as it were. So we're going to have a, a, a series here looking at these family values. What are our family values? What is it? What is the DNA that as Christians and as churches we're meant to be replicating? What's the DNA that we're passing on, as it were? Um, We've been joined into this family mission, but what's at the heart of this family? And what is it that we're kind of reproducing, as it were? So what are the values? What's their purpose? Why do we have them? Uh, so this is the first one. Uh, we have values because we preach Christ. We preach Christ. The purpose is to preach Christ. 
And as we hold these values that we're going to look at dear, um, it'll ensure that we consistently preach Christ, that he's the foundation of our church life, as Tom was prophesying a minute ago, that he'll be our foundation and our cornerstone. In Acts 2.42, it talks about um, the early church devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what was it that they were devoting themselves to? Because at the time, the canon hadn't been formed. So if you say, well, they devoted themselves to the Bible, well, the Bible didn't, didn't exist in that form at that time. So what was it that they were devoting themselves to? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, we preach Christ crucified. This was the apostles' teaching, preaching Christ. In Acts 2, 22 and 24, earlier in the passage, Peter, when he stands up, filled with the Spirit for the first time, on Pentecost, preaches and starts like this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. He starts off by preaching about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So we, we preach, as we preach these core values, we're preaching Christ. They're not things we've plucked out the air and gone, that kind of like sounds like a good idea. Or maybe we should have that, or Christians seem to have said a lot about that, or that seems to be important, let's just draw that in. No, these are values that are at the heart of God. They're at the heart of Jesus Christ and the way he lived his life. And so as we preach each of the values, we'll be preaching Jesus. How this is his value, lived in his person and his character and his ways. Uh, And so these values are elementally beautiful. There's something beautiful about them. They come from the heart of Christ. They're revealed in the heart of New Testament church mission and revelation in Scripture. And they're worthy of us having as a foundation and building upon. Paul uses the exact analogy that Tom um, prophesied a minute ago. 1 Corinthians 3.10, he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's to be our foundation, Jesus Christ. So for nine weeks, we're going to preach about Jesus, the values that are central to his heart that he loves and that are worthy of us building upon. Uh, The second thing is our purpose is to be faithful to the pattern of New Testament church life. Not only do we see these values that we're going to be preaching in the life of Jesus, but we see them in the life of the New Testament church. And we follow this pattern of New Testament church life, patterns that emerged when the Spirit came at Pentecost and they started making disciples and planting churches. These are the values that emerged in their church life. And we see them in passages like this one we read this morning in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. I haven't read them, have I? Have I read this passage yet? Did I do that? Can you see how excited I was about the rest of my preach? I forgot the passage. Should we read it? Sorry, my bad. This is what happens when you get carried away. All right. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I love that passage. That's got to be one of my favourite passages in the Bible. Just that, that kind of church life, the, the values of Christ shot through it. That's, that's something that we're, we're looking to recover all the time, is this kind of church life that we see described here soon after Pentecost, spirit-filled Christians, making disciples, living church life out. This is what it looks like. This is what we're hoping for here in Beckles. This is the kind of church we want to be. And so these values are shot through New Testament church life. So we're not reinventing new ways of doing things. We're just simply seeking to live obediently and faithfully to the pattern of New Testament church life and just apply it here in 21st century Waveney. Um, Moses is commanded in the Old Testament in Exodus 25 to build the tabernacle. And um, it talks about it in Hebrews um chapter 8, verse 5, that when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And so Moses goes ahead and builds the tabernacle based on the pattern that God shows him on the mountain. The tabernacle is going to be the dwelling place of God. It's going to be where God lives, where he dwells, where his presence is. Fast forward to the New Testament, where is God's dwelling place now? Where is he tabernacling? In us, in his church, in his people, in his family. We're the dwelling place of God. And we're to be a pattern after Christ. And church life is to be patterned. And there's a pattern to pass on and to reproduce. So just as Moses followed a pattern in building the tabernacle, so we too are to follow a pattern in building the church, which is God's dwelling place. Paul says in his letters, um, things like this, Philippians 4, verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And 2 Timothy 2, 2, What you've heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will also be able to teach others also. But there's something about what Paul and Peter and the other apostles were holding as important and dear to them, that they were passing on to other faithful folks, to then pass on to others. This making of disciples who make disciples who make disciples, who form churches and plant churches and churches and so on. There's a pattern that we're after. So these were the values. These values that we're going to look at are the values of the early church, the things that they were learning, receiving, practicing, seeing, hearing of in the life of people like Paul and Peter and others that they were entrusting to faithful disciples of Jesus so that they would be passed on. And if you, uh, does anybody like rock? You know, a stick of rock? Um, we were on holiday over the summer and our state agent said, oh, you know, we were on holiday trying to sell our house and he was obviously in the office, slightly envious that every time he spoke to me I was on the beach in Tenby the sun shining and he was in the office in Norwich with, a, with it raining on the windows and he, he wanted a stick of rock and the thing with a stick of rock is no matter whatever it looks like on the top of the stick of rock it doesn't matter where you cut 
the rock. It's the same all the way through, isn't it? And church life's meant to be like that. That whatever aspect of church life you encounter, or whoever you encounter, is like a stick of rock that you cut. These are the values that are shot through the church. They're shot through here in the, in the New Testament. But they, they should be shot through in our church life as well. And whether somebody encounters us on the front door being welcomed, or whether they visit a house group, or whether we engage with them on the street and are sharing the gospel with them, wherever it might be, they see these values lived out that come from our heart because they're part of our foundation um, and the foundation of Scripture. Where did I get to? And number three is that they're a plumb line. They keep us, uh, these values, aligned and faithful to the mission that God has called us to as we multiply. That when we multiply and plant churches, there's something that keeps us together. Um, Let's imagine at some point in the future, we trust that God would enable us to plant other churches, whether that be in a local area or overseas, wherever it might be. And one of the tricky questions about multiplying mission and planting churches is, how do you maintain what was originally in the original church that planted to, to be part of the next church? Is that, and, how, and as time goes on, how do you kind of keep them in line with one another, for want of a better phrase? How is this church going to be maintain similarity to this church? Does that make sense? You multiply, 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 are you just going to kind of lose what you originally multiplied? And how is it that you kind of maintain the thing that you originally had? So like a church in New Testament, like Antioch, when they go out planting other churches, how is it that they maintain some alignment? Or Epaphras, who planted three churches, Herapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. He was in the hall of Tyrannus with Paul. Paul obviously held these values dear, and Epaphras goes off and plants these three churches. How is it that those three churches ended up keeping in line with what was originally held in, in Ephesus, in that church plant. Do you, do you see the thing? And churches have uh, tried this in lots of ways. And we, we, um, we talked about this when uh, I preached a, a while back about a C.S. Lewis analogy, that there's the corridor, which all kind of Christians can hold on to, you know, agree on the same things. But then at some point you've got to walk in a door and live in a room and make decisions about, this or that, aspects of church life. You can't live in the corridor and make decisions there. You've got to decide how you do your tea and coffee and what your ministry to the poor is going to look like and what style your worship's going to be and yada, yada, yada. But you can't make those decisions in the corridor. You have to kind of walk in the room. And so this, if you like, is us walking into the room. These are the values that are important uh, to us. And this kind of alignment, this sense of maintaining faithfulness to what um, to Christ and to the pattern of New Testament church life has been, been tried in many ways. We, we could just have a super apostle, if you like. You know, one man who kind of holds it all together. Everybody kind of relates to him. He kind of teaches the right thing. And everybody just knows as long as we're kind of with that guy, we're okay. Well, there's a kind of a number of problems with that. Um, you know, if you've got the Pope, the further you get out to the edge the less like the Pope the church might be? Or what happens when the super apostle dies? Does he just kind of, somebody take over him? A little bit like a king or a queen? Um, uh, Perhaps you could, and also there's the issue of mutual accountability, of what kind of authority does the super apostle kind of have? 
over the church? And what if the super apostle kind of gets it wrong or kind of lords it over the church? It's kind of a lot on one man, isn't it? Um, perhaps you can maintain alignment through a conference, you know, because what the Methodists do, get together, have teaching for once a year, and that's kind of, this is our plumb line. This is how we know who we are and what we're doing. Or maybe you could have a constitution or a catechism with all the teachings in it. Um, but what we see in the New Testament, the reason why we don't go for any of those, is because we don't see it in the New Testament. What we see in the New Testament is a highly relational culture where the apostles and churches and elders all relate to one another in deep friendship um, through which principles and values that they hold dear are passed on to one another. And the letters in New Testament scripture are the apostles holding the churches to account for these values that they held dear. And they're going, these things are important to us. Let me remind you of Jesus and the foundation which we built upon and these values that were important uh, to us. So we're not simply going through a series of teachings, not simply a set of doctrines to agree with, but rather values that we hold dear in our hearts, that we see lived out in Christ, lived out in the apostles in the New Testament, and, from, from my own experience, lived out in the, the people who are fathers to me. So guys like Toby, um, Mike, and Steph and Morris, who lead the RM family of churches, they, they live, these things are dear to them. They live them out in their lives. I've seen them lived out and they've become dear to me as they've passed them on. So this is what Peter and Paul and John did as they wrote the letters. I've said that already, haven't I? These, these values then are a plumb line for us. Well, what's a plumb line? I had to look this up. I haven't got a clue about building. Some of you will have known exactly what I'm talking about. I got this from homesteady.com. I trust it's true. It says, plumb lines provide a fixed vertical reference point for tall structures. Engineers used to tie the upper end of the plumb line to a movable scaffold atop the structure, so the plumb bob dangled directly over a reference datum mark on the floor at the base of the building. This is my best attempt to try and explain this, despite not fully understanding it. But if you were putting in foundations of a building and trying to get something right and you wanted to maybe line up the corner of the building at the right point so you don't build a wall that looks like this, but a wall that is straight, you would dangle... I need somebody who like knows what they're talking about just to nod so I know what I'm doing. Yeah, Dangles the plumb line, as it were, with the bob on the bottom so it holds still so that maybe the um, bricklayer knows this is my reference point I need to hold to the line. Great. Some people are nodding. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and so these values provide that plumb line, as it were, that we kind of line ourselves up against. Um, they're the things that will help us keep the main thing the main thing. Preaching Christ, following out New Testament, living out New Testament church life. Um, other things can become more important sometimes, can't they? Issues of style. We're not a style-based movement. When I came here, I wasn't gunning for electric guitars, smoke machines, and really loud music. As much as that might, you know, possibly be my preference. We're also not gunning for, like, cafe style with, like, tables and chairs around them. Or whatever it might be. We're not really interested in style. Style is, we will have a style, that's inevitable, but it's not really important to us. 
It's important when we live in the room and we've kind of got to make decisions about it, but it's not the foundation of our church life. Because our, the foundation is issues of value, not style. And they set a course and a direction for us. They help shape our mission as we make disciples. Uh, the fourth thing is that they are transferable and contextual. So one of the reasons we don't aim for style, and I'm not going for rock guitars and we're not going for smoke machines and all the rest of it, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's, it's not transferable. Let's imagine in the future we decided to plant a church in Bungie. Is Bungie technically in Norfolk or is it in Suffolk? Oh, it's in Suffolk. All right, let's imagine we went across the border into Norfolk. Oh, cross-cultural mission. And we plant a church in Loddon. How is it that we're going to transfer that? Now, we might be okay because you think the rock music they play in Beckles, Loddon people get it. Great. But then what if we planted a church and we went to Timbuktu or to Kampala in Uganda or rural Afghanistan and we rock up with rock guitars and smoke machines as our foundation. I don't think it's going to go that well. <laughs> I, don't think it's going to, I don't think it'll take. I don't think people will take to it. Um, because they're not, they're not going to. What, what we want is we want values to be foundational to us as a church. And then when churches are planted out from us, we plant them according to the context that we find ourselves in. And we live out the values in a new way, in a new context, amongst new people. This is one of the problems, if you've um, read about um, previous missionary work, that missionaries often would go to places and preach the gospel, but then they'd also kind of carry a whole bunch of other things with them. Said, well, I don't like the way that you do this in your culture or that in your culture. You really shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And so missionaries were great in some ways because they preached the gospel and people got saved. But then people kind of got saved into Western Christianity and all the problems of it. So uh, we've got, um, well, you've met him. You know Vlada, who came and spoke at our Wednesday night prayer meeting from Serbia? Well, he came over after he'd been in um, doing Serbian, what's it called, in the army? National service, thanks. He, after he'd done that, he came back to Elsham, lived with his wife and his new baby girl, got involved in the church in Aylsham and was taught values, as it were, but almost kind of became entrenched in, this is how he shared it, into Western Christianity, into a Western way of thinking about the gospel. And then he went back to Serbia to plant a church, and for ages nobody became a Christian and he saw very little fruit. And his observation was that he almost had to relearn his own culture, because he learned Christianity from Western eyes. He went to Serbia, which is an Eastern culture, used to be part of the Ottoman Empire. So it's Eastern way of thinking and shame and guilt rather than uh, shame and innocence rather than no shame and uh, not guilt and innocence, but shame and honor culture. And so he had to relearn it for himself. He had to think these are our values. How do they apply in Serbian culture? And had to rethink the gospel through his own cultural eyes, if that made sense. That's um, why we hold on to values dearly, because they're transferable and contextual. The values that applied in first century Turkey and Greece apply in 12th century Latin America. In 18th century um, Uganda, they apply in 21st century Europe. Jesus is culturally relevant to every time and place and culture. He's God incarnate, relatable to all of humanity through all of time, which is why we preach 
Christ. I think I've said everything else on this little bit. Here we go. The fifth thing is the purpose of values is that they're foundational. They underpin our ways. They're a foundation to what we do as a church, as Tom was prophesying. Whether we pray, whether we relate together as a family, whether we're worshipping together or witnessing to others or serving the poor, these are the values that underpin everything that we do. So as we preach on these values, what we're going to do as a, a preaching team is we're going to focus specifically on family relationships, so our life together as a family, on prayer, and on witness. Those are the three things, just to help us. So we'll be preaching Christ, preaching how this value is lived out in the New Testament church, and then talking about how it applies to us as a church here at New Life, in terms of our family relationships, our prayer life together, and our witness. Um, because these are foundational uh, to us. Um, just want to uh, recommend this book here. Uh, it's written by Mike Betts. It's called Relational Mission, A Way of Life. Um, it's not an outline of the values, but the values underpin what he writes in this book. This is He's talking about a way of life. It's the things that we do as a family of churches. So, for example, one of them is we have a termly uh, corporate prayer gathering where we have a half night of prayer and we commit ourselves to praying for a broken world, for pioneering, for one another as churches. And so he talks about that in this book. He's... He, it's, the values are underpinning it, but he's talking about our way of life and how we live life as a, a family of churches. And so that's why we've decided to focus on, as we preach, some application in terms of those three areas so that we've got something to kind of hang it on, as it were. And it isn't just kind of value theory, but is you can see how it applies to our life together as a family. Um, so yeah, family relationships... Our witness and prayer. So, what were the foundations that I've talked about values? All, and I bet you're sat there wondering, what on earth are these values? <laughs> we should get on and just tell us what they are. Well, we'll preach on each of them, but just to kind of give, give an outline. Tom, do you mind clicking to the next slide? <clears throat> so, th- what were the foundations of New Testament church life, of family life? What is it that they were multiplying and filling the earth with? What are the values that are being passed on and applied differently in each context the church found itself in as it spread throughout the earth? Hopefully, some of these won't come as a surprise. They'll likely already be things that you hold dear in your heart, that have been important to you, that you've heard preached over many years. Um, some of them might be phrased in unfamiliar ways, saying the same thing that you've heard before, but just phrased in a different way. And perhaps some of them will be uh, new. Um, but I, I, our hope as a team is that as we preach these values, that they would become dear to us in our hearts, that they would become important to us, that we'd be fully convinced that these should be the foundation of our life together as a church. Uh, so there's three uh, doctrine, uh, doctrinal values. The first is word-based, that the Bible is absolutely central to church life, that it's normative for teaching, correction, reproof. It's um, the foundation of our house group life, our relationships with one another. It fuels our prayer. It's the um, foundation of our, our witness. It's the only backstop for life. It's 
Um, we've, our society's got so ca- caught up, hasn't it, in relativism that it's, it's wrong to say anything is true, absolutely, that this is the, the, you know, it's wrong to do this and it's right to do that. Moral absolutes have just kind of crumbled and everything's relative and saying you're right or wrong is just ignorance and intolerant. Um, whether society knows it or not, the Bible was the backstop. It was the moral absolutes that were the foundation of society and as we drift into relativism, it's quickly becoming apparent that this was the bedrock and the foundation and society crumbles if it doesn't hold to what's revealed in God's word. It's the way that God reveals himself, the invisible God made visible to us, life of Christ. Um, It's the way that God speaks into our hearts. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, speaks into our hearts uh, and changes us and transforms us. Our, our life together is founded on the Word of God. If it's not in the Bible, hopefully you won't hear it. <laughs> word of, we're word-based. Secondly, we're grace-filled. That God's saving of us, that his redemption of us, his adoption of us into his family is entirely his initiative. I, there was nothing about me that God looked at and went, oh, I, like, I like him. He could be part of my family. No, everything about me made him go, you know, was just repulsive. It was just, uh, you know, I've sinned. I'm just full of it. And there's nothing about me that was like, oh, that's attractive. Oh, you know, I think I could use him for the mission. He's particularly talented and gifted. He didn't think any of those things. It, he just went, I just love in his heart. So he, cho- he decided to love me. His salvation of me is all his initiative. It's all of his grace. And it's nothing of my own uh, doing. I'm dependent on Jesus for my, for my obedience before the Father. Just as we were singing, before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest called Jesus, whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me on my behalf, pleading obedience to the Father on my behalf, because I haven't been. This is God's grace to us. He's enjoined us to God's mission. I don't have a mission. I don't have a plan. I don't have a a thing that I'm going for. It's God's mission and he's enjoined us to it. It's his destiny for us. And this is, the grace of God is something to be reveled in, something to be enjoyed in, something that deeply affects us, like was being prophesied this morning, like children are free and abandoned. Um, So we too are to be free and abandoned by the grace of God to worship him. It affects how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive God, how we treat one another. The third is, that we're spirit-empowered. If you like, we're, we're reformed charismatics. We believe the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in church life transforms us, transforms us as a church. It changes absolutely everything. The Bible continually throughout Acts says, the Spirit came and, the Spirit came and, the Spirit came and, the Spirit comes and on Pentecost, Peter preaches, 3,000 get saved and they're added to the church. The Spirit comes and this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. And this is our church life. That's what it's to be like. The Spirit comes and new life grew. The Spirit came and new life loved God more. The Spirit came and new life loved one another better. That's the dynamic that the Spirit brings to church life. It enables what was previously impossible to be utterly, impos- utterly possible by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our life together as a church. Then there's three leadership uh, values. There's elders in each local church. These men are to be shepherds. They're elders who operate together as a team, together to lead, feed, and care. We've preached on that before. Um, for um, 
lead, feed and care the church by carrying responsibility together as a team and carrying appropriate authority in church life. The fifth, Ephesians 4 ministries, that there are translocal ministries. Christ, uh, the ascended Christ is seated in the heavenly places and is giving gifts to his church of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and they're given to the church for today, Ephesians 4, to say, to bring us to maturity as a church, to equip the saints for works of service. And so we invite in. It's not that they have authority over us and telling us what to do. We invite them in as elders of a local church to bring their wisdom, to bring their input, to bring their account- to hold us accountable where it's invited. Uh, sixth, to be servant-hearted in leadership. And this is, when I talk about leadership, we're talking broadly here. You know, if you lead your dog, or you lead um, your children, you lead your wife, you lead an area of ministry, you lead at work, um, we're to be servant-hearted. It affects our marriages, our parenting. We lay down our lives for others as Jesus has laid down his life for us. That leadership isn't based on authority and lording it over others. It's about serving and laying your life down and sacrificing like Jesus did. Uh, the last three are about mission. That the mission of God is local church focus. That the church is God's plan A. It's his vehicle and plan for world evangelization. That there are lots of other ways we could go about it, but he's chosen to use his church as his vehicle for seeing his glory fill the earth. He's multiplying families who are full of this DNA and are going on into the world, spreading his glory throughout it. Seeing people adopted into his family through the death and resurrection of Jesus, being transformed by the Spirit and restored in the image of God, so that God's image is filling the earth. Uh, eight, that the church mission is expressed locally, globally, and holistically, that our mission is to disciple all nations, and that that call doesn't just apply to mega churches or churches with lots of resources or churches with impressive gifts, that is, the call to disciple all nations is, is the destiny of every church, that we're to be caught up in mission here in Beckles, in Bungie and Halesworth, but also in the nations, um, caught up in the mission of God and his plan to fill the earth with his glory. And that every local church is to have at its heart a desire to reach the poor and the marginalised in society. The church isn't just for the few. I'm almost quoting Labour there, aren't I? I was about to say, this church isn't just for the few, it's for the many. It's funny. <laughs> These things get in your head when you're going through, uh, you know, when politics is on the news a lot. But yeah, the, the church is, is for everyone. It's not for just one type of person or one sector of society. It's not for the middle class. It's not for the white. It's not for the rich, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's for the. It's for everyone. And our heart is to meet the needs of the poor, marginalised. And the last one: contextual freedom and ac- application. We're not copying and pasting a style. There isn't styles and things that were done at King's that I'm just going to copy here. There might be ways that they applied things that were wise and um, take their wisdom and apply it here. But it doesn't just mean that everything that happened there is going to happen here. We're not copying, pasting. We're, we're taking these values on in our hearts for ourselves and applying them in church life here in Beckles specifically for us and our community. And that wherever the Lord leads us in the future, whether we plant in Bungie, Halesworth, or in the nations, these are the values that will be core to us that we then reproduce after our own kind. Do the band want to come back up and we'll finish? So uh, I hope that's given you a bit of an idea of what the series is about and why we're preaching through these 
um, that it's excited you for hearing about each of those. <clears throat> Perhaps there was some that you thought, I, just, I don't quite understand what he said there or what it means. But that's why we're spending a week on each of them, so that we can unpack them in greater detail and depth and understand them wholly. As we go along, if you've got questions about them or we preach something you think, I don't really quite understand that or I don't quite agree with it, then you feel free to speak to us as a leadership team and say, you said this on Sunday, I didn't quite understand that or didn't quite agree with this, the Bible says this, then come and speak to us. We're open about discussing these. It'd be good for us to talk about them together as a family. So please feel free to come and approach us and talk about them. That's what we would really hope for. Um, that it would be a discussion, not we just preach them on a Sunday and you go, oh, yeah. But you would, we would talk them through together as a, as a church family. Oh, Father God, we, we thank you that you have caught us up into your mission to make disciples of all nations so that your glory would fill the earth. That's what we're living for, Lord. That's the, the mission that we've been joined to. Um, your heart for your glory to be re- revealed through your family as it spreads throughout throughout the earth and uh, Lord it's a it's a joy and a privilege and it's our heart's desire to see your mission happen in our lifetime ongoingly pressing on see the church established and growing and mature um, so that your glory would be made known to Beckles that's what we long for Lord We we pray for people in Beckles to speak of our church, like they obviously were in Acts there, that we have favour amongst the people, that people are being added to our number daily. That's what we pray, Lord. These values would become foundational and allow us to mature in a way that so that the gospel goes out clearly and plainly to all of Beckles and all of Waveney, so that people are gathered to it and added to our number and adopted into God's family. That's what we long for, Lord. And we pray that you would do it here in Beckles and that we'd get to be at the centre of that mission. In Jesus' name. Amen.